yeah, welcome, listener, to another edition of the Coco and Dalt's podcast. You know, we've been gone a long time, and we miss you. It's been a long time since we rocked and rolled. And we are real people, and we do real reviews. I don't know if you remember that, listener, because it's been so long since we've been here. <laughs> By the way, I'm not Coco, for those who don't know. And I'm not Daltz. And, and not... I don't know if you said, this is Coco and Daltz. Did you say, this is Coco and Daltz? I, maybe I didn't. <laughs> It has been a long time. I'm rusty, apparently, <laughs> but I'm darn glad to be back here, listener. And what are we talking about this in this episode, this back from uh, the sabbatical episode? Today, we are reviewing Goliath. Oh. Season four of the legal drama on Amazon Prime Video, which dropped Friday, if you're listening to this in real time, because... Why would you not be? Mm-hmm. It stars Billy Bob Thornton as renegade lawyer Billy McBride. In the first se- uh, three seasons, he's uh, taken on class action lawsuits against various industries. In this season, uh, we start off after the events of season three. He's kind of been out of the legal biz. His team has scattered. Patty is working for a law firm in San Francisco. Uh, former hooker Brittany is now a PI in Chicago. Apparently, his estranged daughter Denise is also in Chicago. Patty is working for a law firm that is taking on Big Pharma when the main lawyer on that case, who brought the case because his daughter, uh, his teenage daughter, died of an opioid overdose after she got a cheerleading uh, injury, when that lawyer disappears, Uh, Jenna Malone, who is the head of the law firm, asked Patty to bring Billy onto the case because he's so celebrated. Uh, They're suing. One of the companies they're suing is a pharmaceutical company headed by J.K. Simmons, national treasure (laughs) J.K. Simmons. He's awesome. Yeah. So it's more legal drama than seasons two and three were it's sort of a return to season one's legal drama roots mm-hmm. uh anything i missed there adults no i think that's pretty good really i will say the first three seasons the first two seasons took place in la the third season kind of half took place out in the middle of nowhere in california because they were in almond farming country this season is mostly in san francisco which i was happy about because san francisco is my favorite american city so is it really it is i didn't how did i not know that you knew that oh you i heard. thought it was buffalo <laughs> that's number two. Oh, close okay. second all right so, all right so uh, adults if you ain't got nothing to add what'd you think of goliath season four which is the final season of goliath so I was challenged in many ways by this season. <laughs> Let me count the ways. So the uh, I was a big fan of season one. Uh, Coco bailed on season two because of the... It was horrible. Because of the amputee porn, and it was horrible. But I had to watch the end of it because that's the kind of guy I am. I had to see the how it resolved. Uh, season three was better than season two, but it still wasn't as good as season one. It's like... The first season was just pretty much a straight legal drama, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Then in season two, they were like, let's go crazy. And they brought in the amputations and the porn, and it was nuts. And in season three, somebody from Amazon Studios was like, you need to cut that crap out. <laughs> and they were like, but we still want to do the crazy stuff. So there was still like a weird pseudo incestuous storyline between Amy Brenneman and Dennis Quaid. And there was a guy playing 
weird twins mm-hmm. and they still wanted to let the freak flag fly in season three but they knew they had to rein it in so the freak flag flew wow <laughs> wow i didn't think job. i was gonna i didn't think i was gonna get through that <laughs> that's not even edited like no. he just did that on one take look at that and i haven't been drinking uh and actually flew large and flattering no see i screwed that up fluttering there we go. in a big way in this season because they had these like dream sequences that were drug-induced. I think they were actually ju- drug-inspired by the writers because they were like showbiz, uh, J.K. Simmons doing Broadway tunes to <laughs> I'm a Painkiller, which... <laughs> I actually really liked that scene. It was crazy, it, but I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> it was kind of like a Disney... It was like a, some sort of Pixar thing. It was like, I'm a painkiller. You know, like it was just way out there. And I understood what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, where I was going with this was season four is kind of uh, it's more it's closer to season one, but it's still got elements of season two and season three in yeah. there. And what I really liked about season one when we first watched Goliath, and I was a huge fan of the of the first season, was the intelligent dialogue, the characters that weren't stereotypes or or tropes. They weren't like expected. They didn't say the the things that you thought they were going to say. And it was very interesting that this broken character was at the center of this story, it being Billy McBride slash Billy Bob Thornton. However, eventually that gets tiresome, right? If you're repeating the same sort of ideas over and over again, where it's like, oh, this guy's broken, we get it. And so figuring out how to make that fresh has been a challenge, I think, for this series since the first season. Now, here's where I was challenged so at the end of the third season, Billy Bob gets blasted by a uh, shotgun. And it's looking pretty grim for the guy at the end of that season. And we're thinking, what's going to happen? And and then season four is like it's barely even talked about. It's like, oh, I got shot. I almost died. He refers to it a couple of times. But the guy got shot by a shotgun. And it wasn't like from here to the end of the driveway. Like, I mean, it was fairly close. And I mean, I don't know a lot about guns and especially shotguns, but... Uh, like I'm, I'm wondering if he had maybe more long-term uh, effects from you know taking buckshot to the front section. <laughs> so that was a challenge to me. Is like, what is this? Was this a dream? Like, what? Why is he not more injured than he is? Because he was like, you walk with a little bit, little bit of a limp and everything like that. But like the guy probably would have had a colostomy bag if he had really been shot. You know what I mean? Like he's just, it didn't seem real at all to me. So that was a challenge to me. Him getting through this is like, oh yeah, by the way, I got shot. The, the the second challenge that I had, and this is a challenge throughout the entire series, but this it really bothered me in this season for some reason. His hair was just wrong. <laughs> His hair was just so fake. It was unbelievably the the worst wig that I've seen in a long time on a man. Wow. Like you do the you do the like oh she's wearing a terrible wig and I'm like oh yeah really, I'm like I, I I don't know but but Billy Bob's wig was just like was dramatically bad. Wow. So I was challenged. These are the two challenges I had in the, wow. as I'm starting this season. I'm like, oh, Billy Bob, this is going to be great. Billy McBride and the gang's all back together again and they're taking on Big Pharma, whom I hate as well. Yeah. And then I, I get in, and I get into those episodes and it's like, I'm distracted by the fact that his his apparent you know death was just a dream and number two, his, his, wear, his hair is just the worst. So, and then third... And then I'll let you talk, Coco. Third challenge for me was, in the first two episodes of the season, nothing happened. Nothing. 
they were all just kind of walking around talking to each other and establishing, oh, we're back and we're in San Francisco. And then toward the end of the second episode, I believe, is like Billy gets pulled into this case by um, Patty, Patty, who was awesome, is always awesome. And uh, he gets pulled into this case and, and he gets pulled into this room where there's a room full of lawyers who are on this case. And there must have been, I don't know, 30 lawyers in this room who are on this case that Billy McBride gets called into. And then Billy McBride says, oh, you know, I'll just look at the video. I don't trust the transcripts. You don't think that one of those 30 people in the room would have done that? And then he looks <laughs> at the video for 10 minutes and finds like a key clue of the whistleblower that ends up being the pivotal moment in the first three episodes. And I just I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, how, what are they getting paid? Those people there, you know, those 30 people in the room are getting paid $500 an hour. Are they just like on Twitter or what are they doing? Like somebody should have been checking out the video of the the testimony. Well, maybe. Uh, so not to spoil things too much, but Jenna Malone, the law firm's big cheese, big cheese. Mm-hmm. She didn't necessarily want to win the cases they were bringing against Big Pharma. So maybe that was an edict from her. Like, oh, we got the transcripts. We're good. Like, don't waste your time going back over the video. Like, we're not getting paid for this until we settle. So just, you know, be a shark. Go forward, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe you're being generous. And there was one other part, too, and this, I have to mention this because this really bothered me, too. Is there's a scene of life or death and Billy gets pushed over the edge of a, a building right. you know, from the roof. And then we look and they see something splatter on the ground. I don't know what that was. Like it was, it looked like a pumpkin or something. And then we look a little bit farther and there's Billy hanging onto the, the balcony, like three stories below by the, so this speaks to my point is like, oh, by the way, the guy got shot by a shotgun. <laughs> he's got to have all sorts of weakness in his body from that. And yet he's hanging on for dear life. So there I am. It's it's your turn, Coco. Now that I've <laughs> alienated all our listener. Well, the I will semi-agree with you on the weird dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Like the there was quite a bit of the first episode like maybe the first like 10 to 15 minutes of the first episode was just like the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, Christ, are we, oh, are we I can there. Right. But then it recovered and it went more into like the actual storyline. And I didn't, I, I actually didn't think they neglected to address the shooting um, because he did say he's in San Francisco. He's seeing this Chinese doctor. He lost half his lung the dream sequences to me seemed like him kind of struggling with his mortality and his past. Um, They did do a few flashbacks to him getting shot by Amy Brenneman. And I mean, Patty's now like an equity partner in a law firm. So the shooting was clearly several years in the past. If she's been hired by a San Francisco firm and she's worked her way up to the Mm -hmm. point where she's an equity partner. So to me, I didn't have that disconnect between he got shot, but they barely mentioned it. It seemed like it was just kind of the passage of time that took care of it and he's recovered. And they did show a flashback of him in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. Like he's back in LA, he's drinking at whatever that bar is next to the crummy hotel he's living in. And his daughter comes in and she's like, don't serve him anymore. And they get in a big fight. Right, and right. So I, I, that didn't bother me. I thought that was addressed um, to my satisfaction. All right. I uh, I will say that they had the heavy duty Blade Runner thing going on in the 
entire season. So they're in his apartment was in Chinatown in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and it was raining heavy, and they had the uh, the Chinese characters, and it was very dark and it was gloomy, and it had a very Blade Runner kind of aspect to it. And anybody who's seen Blade Runner knows what I'm talking about. And it was very obvious to me that they were borrowing that, and I thought that was interesting because. In Blade Runner, the that is a character. The the setting is a character, and that was kind of a character too because of the darkness that Billy Bob was in, or mm-hmm. Billy McBride was in. Um, so I thought that was that was fairly important. But yeah, I, I I can see where you're saying about the things being addressed. I just it just was too much too soon. Like it, it felt like Twin Peaks in the early going, where I was like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> like I, I, it's been so long since I saw season three. Right. I'm like, what? I need some sort of transition now. Again. I'm always the one saying it's too obvious. You don't have to be like saying over, over, over and over again that I got shot. So there's a there's a happy balance there, a fine balance to, to strike. But I just thought it was a little bit. I thought it was underplayed considering how graphic it was at the end of the season. And then the next thing we're expecting, like what happened to him? And he's like, oh, he's fine. Yeah, he had a he had some hair weave done, but other than that, he's. <laughs> He's in good shape. You are really, really offended by that wig. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, listener, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but man, oh, man. There's a couple of scenes there. I was like, is it moving on its own? <laughs> oh, man. So I wasn't as offended by um, the wiglet as Daltz was. <laughs> I, overall, I enjoyed this season. Yeah. I, once I kind of got into the groove with the weird dream sequences, which is them still clearly being like, but we want to do crazy stuff, but we know we have to rein it in. Since this was more of a return to season one, like once I really got into the groove of the season and the dream sequences, like I really enjoyed the Mm storyline. There were definitely a few threads that were not picked up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Daltz mentioned, like the video deposition that nobody watched. There was also Bruce Dern pops up. He is the brother of J.K. Simmons' character. Mm -hmm. And at one point... The bartender in the Chinese restaurant that Billy McBride always goes to mentions that Bruce Dern owns the entire block. And he's like, oh, really? And then <laughs> until he has a crazy dream with a cocktail napkin that says, look into Frank, he never... He didn't pick up on that. He didn't pick up on it because yeah. Bruce Dern is like basically living in like squalor and he's got an untreated mental illness and he looks shabby and mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with mental illness, but clearly... He's not a high-functioning member of society. Mm-hmm. And you would think, oh, maybe how does this crazy guy own this whole block of Chinatown, prime real estate in San Francisco? And like that thread never gets picked up. So there were a few things like that that is like, okay, come on. But the storyline I thought was good. I mean, everybody wants to stick it to Big Pharma. Mm-hmm. I thought J.K. Simmons did a fantastic job of not making his character be a cartoon villain, yes. which his character was completely yes. written to be a cartoon villain. But he sold it. He did not make it over the top. He's a national treasure. I love him. Nina Arianda plays Patty. She's been fantastic in every season. She won a Tony 10 years ago for Venus and Fur, and I have no idea how she has not even been nominated for an Emmy for her work. She was, hands down, I thought the best member of the cast, um, besides J.K. Simmons and uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say I thought... I thought the final episode or two were a bit of a letdown. Oh, yeah. Um, just because I have my law degree from Dick Wolf University. <laughs> and what? when <laughs> when Billy McBride is testifying on the stand, <laughs> even though it's supposed to be uh, this big, like, F you to big pharma 
testimony moment and we're supposed to be like, yeah, you tell him, Billy. All I could think in my head is this is totally going to get overturned on appeal. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is this would not be allowed in any courtroom right. anywhere in the U.S. And if it were, like, it would be declared a mistrial. Right. And if it weren't declared a mistrial, it would be overturned on appeal. Yeah. So as much as you really want to stick it to Big Pharma, it's like, I just wish there had been a better way to do it mm-hmm. than to end up with Billy on the stand, on the stand yeah. and doing something that makes no leak. I mean, and if we have any lawyers who listen, please tweet me at the Sarah Gage and tell me that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But I just, that kind of took the shine off the season a little bit for me because I'm like, Oh, this was supposed to be this big triumphal moment. Mm-hmm. And instead I know that this is just not based in any kind of reality, well, actually. Yeah. Like if, so it was eight episodes, right? Yeah, it was eight episodes. I'm so sorry, I didn't mention that. Nine, the ninth episode is like the appeal right. episode and everything gets overturned the, and then J.K. Simmons is on his yacht again. Right, totally. <laughs> they did, it's the unpublished episode. Right, totally. And the courtroom scenes in the last couple episodes were shot with this weird kind of dull wash like there were no standout colors like the american flag behind the witness stand like everything just blended into each other and the red just looked brown and everything was just kind of like yeah this weird tone and i don't kind of filter that was it just muted everything yeah and i was watching it on my laptop um and and i was like did something just happen like to (laughs) like my computer like what's going on but then like the next scene everything is back to looking normal and so i don't that was an odd i was thinking that too as i was watching it on my laptop is like oh i guess my my uh, laptop just went out of warranty (laughs) right totally (laughs) because the screen just went brown like all right tim cook here's another two grand i guess i gotta pony up for the extended (laughs) warranty on my macbook pro so i'm sure they were trying to make some kind of commentary on the american legal system and you know not everything is black and white. Everything is like all the shades of like the same, you right. know, but I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like that particular choice of filter. I, I will say, so it sounds like if listener, if you're still with us, uh, I was really down on it. I actually was down on those particular parts, but the cast is so good in this. It is. Everybody is top notch. And when you brought, when you bring in somebody like J.K. Simmons. Amazing. Who's just, he's just amazing. He's and he was like, he had been working out seriously. He was seriously jacked. <laughs> and there were a lot of scenes of him in the gym too. So right. that wasn't like prosthetics. No. Like you really saw him like. It was left over from that. What was it? That DC movie he was in or whatever it was. He was in one of those superhero movies that we watched and he was all jacked up. Oh, I don't remember. So great cast. Billy Bob plays Billy Bob. Like, I mean, he's, he's kind of this weird uh, character with a heart and which is pretty much who he is in real life from what I understand. Uh, you know, he and I hang around together a lot and. That's the way he is in real life. He is also a Cardinals fan, which he managed to work yes. into the final episode. So I knew that the guy with the Cubs hat was Brittany's boyfriend when he... Because of the Chicago Yeah, with yeah. the Chicago hat. I was like, there's a tie to Brittany there. And then at the very end, Billy and Brittany's boyfriend meet. And the guy's like, hey, come to Chicago. We'll go to a Cubs game. And he's like, I'm a Cardinals fan. And I was like, yeah, Billy. <laughs> yeah, buddy. So like the cast, as I was mentioning, Jeffrey Sorry. Arend, who was the, he was the uh, Griffin Pettick. Who is the defense counsel defense for J.K. Counsel. Simmons? Yeah, thank you. He was the other lawyer. He was fantastic. I really liked him. Bruce Dern was great, as we mentioned. He was just a shambles, but he was great as a shambles, a crazy old man. And uh, the regular cast, as we mentioned earlier, as Coco mentioned, 
uh, were all great. Nina um, Arianda better at least get nominated for an Emmy for this season because she Malone, was so good. Jenna Malone was really good. I also liked uh, Brandon Scott, who played yes. another lawyer yes. in the firm. He had previously been engaged to Jenna Malone. He In real life? No, oh. in in the show. Oh, he, yeah. I thought he did a good job. But I, I did think it was interesting... Um, in season one of The Morning Show, there's an anchor of color who repeatedly gets passed over for being promoted into the main anchor chair. And he's just continuously told, like, wait, you know, it's not your time yet. We promise big things are on the horizon. And the same thing happened to Brandon Scott's character in this episode. Like, he gets passed over for equity partner, mm-hmm. like, in favor of Patty's character. And even though you know why that happens because Patty is the link to Billy and was able to bring Billy onto the case, like it still sucks because mm-hmm. how many times are people passed over, especially people of color? Yeah, so, it happens all the time. And then he quits and of course Jenna Malone gets her nose out of joint about it, but he, I thought he did a very good job too. So the cast was great. The story was great. Uh, the writing was really good. The writing was a little uneven compared to season one, but I thought it was still pretty good. Um, I missed uh, the beach. I was I didn't really like the San Francisco setting like you did. Um, even though the characters and the the climate and the darkness and everything like that were all part of it, I really missed the unique aspect of the motel that uh, Billy Bob was living in and all you know that eclectic kind of thing and having the bar right around the corner. I think a lot of that is too that. In the pandemic, I really wanted to have a place that was that close to where I lived, where I right. could just go and have a drink with people. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was part of it. But um, I, as I said, like I think the there were nitpicky things that I didn't like about it. But overall, it was good. I didn't like it as much as season three. Um, wow! Because I, I liked I liked the William Hurt's uh, oh, William Hurt had dynamic a- and everything like that in season three. William um, Hurt had a couple. Oh, you mean season one? Season one. Yeah. Uh, William Hurt did yeah, have a couple one. appearances yeah. in season four. I also would like to shout out Robert Patrick as Billy's father in the dream sequences. Mm-hmm. He is practically unrecognizable. Who's but the Terminator guy, right? Yeah, he's the yeah. T-1000 in yeah. Terminator 2. The funny running guy. Yeah, the funny running guy. Yeah. So he's practically unrecognizable in this, but he does a good job too. Yeah, and so like I said, I didn't like it as much as season one, um, but that's a pretty high bar to get over. I think it's pretty close to season three, but I far, I far uh, prefer it to season two. I think overall, uh, it's sort of sad to see the characters go away, but at the same time, I'm not sure what else we would have seen from them that they could have moved the needle. Like as we, you and I know Coco, like we're watching Ted Lasso and we know that's only going to last three seasons. Right. And so the same thing with Goliath is like, we're looking at four seasons. That's probably good. I mean, I don't think we need any more from these characters. And how are they going to, based on what they did in season four, how are they even going to bring them all back together? Like well, Billy went back to LA, Patty's staying in San Francisco because she, she's an equity partner in this firm now. The reformed hooker is in Chicago with her Cubs loving boyfriend working as a PI. Like there's... There's always a way. Yeah. I mean, Billy, there's always a way. There's always a contrivance, but... Billy McBride got shot at the end of season three and looked like <laughs> he was dead. And then we're treating it like it was a dream in season four. So anything can happen. True. So overall, on your uh, rating scale from uh, A to Z, or Z, Z. as my brothers say, uh, what do you grade in Goliath season four? So I would rank this four seasons, season one, season four, season three, and season two. Mm-hmm. So this is my second favorite season after season one. Mm-hmm. I would probably give it like a B. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that grading of the order that you put them in. I would say this is probably a seven. 
I, wow. But I give this, I give everything a seven. But yeah, that's true. Um, this was a solid seven. I think this was a legit seven. I think it could have been an eight if they had dialed back some of the, you know, Broadway musicals and the and the dream sequences. <laughs> and, and I will say that like at the end, like the dream sequences have, there's a thread with the dream sequences all the way through, obviously. And there is, they do tie that up at the end of the, the last episode. And I will say that I was a little bit choked up at the end because of that oh. last dream sequence because mm-hmm. they they were bringing together some emotional moments and you know a father and a son and the the conflict there and are you good enough for your dad and all that kind of stuff. I think that that was that was pretty well played actually as a, as a secondary story. But some of the stuff was just like it was really contrived and it kind of it kind of brought me down. And then when I was talking about the first two episodes when nothing happened, I was like, this you gotta. You got to do something for me here. Keep me invested. Because he is living in Chinatown and he makes frequent trips to that Chinese restaurant I mentioned, mm-hmm. there are also several karaoke sing- yes. scenes <laughs> that are amazing. <laughs> Shout out to whoever the extra was who got that part and <laughs> was singing like, girls just want to have fun or no, time after time. It was Cindy Lauper's time after time. <laughs> I think we probably could have had a seat at that table because we have some pretty serious karaoke chops. We do. And if you've seen my Instagram, you know, like <laughs> pre-pandemic uh, karaoke to hair metal. That was the day before the pandemic, I think. <laughs> I caused the pandemic. You caused the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> a great dark cloud fell over the world after Coco karaoke talked dirty to me at Pomona Pete's in Unionville, Connecticut. It's all your fault, Coco. As most things are. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, listener. You made it all the way through this to this point, and we appreciate it. And we appreciate you waiting patiently for us to have another podcast. This has been our far, our, our best podcast so far in September. So we appreciate it. Actually, in <laughs> August and July, too, I think. Yeah. So thanks for joining us uh, for another episode of the podcast. I'm not Coco. And I'm not Dalton. <laughs>